Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Learn Life UAE. We had a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, I had to take a break last week. Uh, I'm afraid uh, Mrs. Lewis wasn't too well, but she is fine and uh, recovered now. So uh, all is well. Um, anyone out there that has small children will know that sometimes you have to be quite flexible and uh, adapt what you had planned. Uh, a little bit like how we've had to approach education in the last 18 months. Um, before we get going with um, tonight's show, I'd just like to say a little thank you. Um, I got Mark and I got a, a really nice email, completely out of the blue, um, at the weekend, uh, just gone, telling us that we've been, or somebody has uh, nominated us for a, a Nexus Education Award. Um, they've nominated us for um, a category which we didn't know existed. I wasn't aware that it was there, but it's really nice um, that somebody has nominated us for that. And it's for um, bringing schools and educators together for the greater good. So just a, a little thank you um, and tip of the hat to whoever you are. Um, our main driver for this was to bring educators, schools together for the common good uh, and share our learning uh, across the education space. Um, so it's really nice to get um, uh, that nomination from somebody so thank you very much to all of our viewers anyway um to the main show tonight it's an absolute pleasure to welcome uh, iman onto the show she's going to discuss the importance of students as solution designers i think it's a really important uh, point especially when we think back to um, the last year if not longer where students have had to um face such adversity um, you know within education and within that educational space and they've had to um, essentially design many many um, uh, solutions to issues that they faced and, and work accordingly so without further ado enough of me rabbiting on um, let's welcome Eman onto the show. Uh, Eman hello. Hi hi Ollie. Thank you so much for giving up some time on this Monday evening. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the show. I must say that um, I did reach out to um, Alan Williamson from Talim um, quite a while ago. We tried to get you on the show before, but timelines didn't quite align. So it's brilliant that we've actually got you here this evening. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure meeting you and thank you so much for having me on the show and congratulations on the nomination. Thank you. It's Sometimes things just you know, happen out of the blue. So it was, it was really nice. Um, it, the, the, show, the concept behind the whole show is absolutely amazing. Well done. Thank you so much. It's, um, you know, Mark and I have always sort of maintained it's it's about the guest. And I think right. that, that's always been our, our guiding factor in, in sharing their collective experience to a wider audience. Because quite often, as we know, um, schools can be, not to say that all are, a little bit insular especially in an incredibly competitive marketplace. So, you know, our, our kind of guiding purpose behind this was to, to try and bridge the gap um, for educators like yourself to, to come and share your knowledge and experience. Well, I really do hope that I would add value today. I'm sure you will. Um, thank you so much. Um, for anyone that doesn't know you, um, could you please just introduce yourself and what your, your current role is, please? All right, so what I do now is that I am the Director of Innovation uh, in the American Academy uh, for Girls in Dubai, here in Dubai, which is part of the big umbrella, uh, the um, uh, group of schools uh, under Talim. And uh, before that, I was, I have always been a teacher. 
I've been a teacher for like 15 years, but during those 15 years, I've been doing all sort of educational, um, uh, let's say activities uh, from curriculum advising to um, uh, teaching to um, uh, coaching and training. So um, I've been in the education system for over 15 years now. And recently, and by recently, I mean three years back, uh, I came across a book, which I will be talking about in my presentation today. That book changed my whole perspective of education and my whole practices in classrooms. And then I took it further and I got, uh, which is design thinking, um, obviously. And then I really wanted to dig more in the design thinking and I got certified as a um, design thinking facilitator from uh, the uh, Design Thinker Academy in London. And uh, I also uh, finished my master's in international management and policy of education from the uh, British University. And uh, here I am, uh, I'm an advocate for design thinking uh, in education. Look, because design thinking, if anybody, is familiar with the with the approach. It is something that is usually used within big organization and big country, uh, big um, uh, companies like let's say Microsoft or Apple or um, uh, Samsung. Those you know big names in the technological uh, industries. But actually, design thinking is in every aspects of our lives, and especially in education. And that what drove my passion towards that approach. You've had a, a really diverse kind of experience there over, over yeah. 15 years from, uh, you know, classroom-based, school-based teaching, um, consultancy work, coaching. Um, how do you feel like each of those different, because they're all very different um, uh, on, on a kind of day-to-day -day basis, not only just, um, uh, um, you know, well, happens to face to face but strategically as well how have they prepared you for for design thinking in your current situation strategically it was recently when i started thinking of things strategically but before that you know teaching and training and coaching and consulting it all they they all complement each other they all feed into each other so when i was a teacher inside classrooms i was able also to transfer my knowledge to my colleagues, to my peers, and I was able to do training, in-service training. So once you're a teacher, you're always a teacher. You can get out of that. And yeah. training is not, is not much away from that. And um, what I did differently, I, I noticed that the group of people, the age group, of people that I was, let's say, either teaching or coaching or training made things have different flavors for every single experience, I would say. But I, I wouldn't say they are different. But strategically, design thinking helped me in planning better for the future. Like I can, I can envision things better for the future. I can plan things better. I can, yes, I can write strateg uh, strategies and policies better. That what design thinking enabled me to do, uh, different from what I used to do when I was a teacher or a trainer or even a curriculum advisor in that sense. Um, I don't want to sort of steal from your presentation, but um, 
I might actually leave one of the questions I was going to ask you because I think it will um, it will give something away with with what you're going to share. And um, I, I guess I'll jump to this. What what for you um, is is the biggest issue facing education at the moment, um, especially considering the last eighteen months? And what changes would you like to see moving forward? The resistance towards innovation. That's the biggest barrier. Uh, people still. Um, let's say educators, most of, or the majority of educators, let's say, they are not ready still to embrace the innovation within their system, <laughs> right? Uh, there's a lot of still resistance um, in the culture of schools, within the culture of uh, schools and uh, educational organizations uh, towards innovation because they are very much intimidated by the word innovation and creativity, and they fear that it is something they won't be able to do. They need to be trained for it. What I will be sharing today in my presentation is something that is so simple, very simple, that if, edu if educators can take that as their key takeaway from this presentation, I think I will be, I will be adding a value tonight. So my, my biggest issue now uh, that I'm facing, actually, because I'm the director of innovation and this is something that I'm facing every single day, because, you know, to get people to accept an idea, a new idea, it takes some effort and time, let's say. Yeah, I, I think that, that quite often can be um, sort of the big cultural shift that needs to happen in schools. Schools will either um, run with it and trial it pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And, and be kind of agile, a bit like a speedboat, whereas other institutions might be a bit like an oil tanker and take a lot longer to, to make that shift and change and turn uh, comparative to, to other organisations. So I'm, I'm, uh, I don't want to ask any other leading questions. Should we jump straight into your presentation and then if anyone does have any questions, please do um, fire them into the comments and then we can ask Iman at the end of her presentation. So I'll just bring up your slide deck now. All right. Shall I start, Orly? Over to you. All right. So hi, everyone, whoever is listening, and welcome to the Design Thinking for Education session at the Learn live uae show all right so as you can see i have started the first slide with things that uh, most educators uh, who are joining us today might be familiar with thanks and struggles um daily struggles um, that we teachers around the world have to put up with trying to solve so many issues within our domain uh, like I told Oli, I was once a teacher and this is something that is also uh, familiar to me. So uh, I can name a few, like um, I'm sure some of you can relate to uh, either one or two of these issues. Like, for example, students just aren't interested in learning about fractions or there is no teacher community network or the classroom organization does not accommodate different learning modes and shifting class sizes or just can't get my students to pay attention. All sort of these, all sort of things that can encounter an education within the classroom. Now, why am I speaking about design thinking today? It's because I found design thinking working well for me to facilitate both my teaching and my students' learning. So moving 
to our uh, session today. So I will be talking about creative thinkers and exploratory playfulness. Um, okay, so I'll be speaking about this approach that really truly changed my mindset. I already told um, Oli about my experience with design thinking. It really helped me see things in a different perspective and from a different angle. I have become passionate about design thinking as a tool to ignite creativity, especially in education, which is, of course, my domain, uh, since I came across a book. It was a book that changed my life, and I would be recommending that book towards the end of my session. But I can tell you that design thinking has become a way of life to me. And, you know, in this slide, if you can see that, and this is something I truly believe in, if you do the, the same old thinking, or if you do the same thing over and over again, then you won't be able to expect different results out of this. And this is how the whole idea of design thinking started. So what design thinking, um, many of you would ask, is as simple as it can get. It's a mindset. It's a process in your brain that if you train your brain to do it, it will change your perspective when you are encountered with problems and challenges. Design thinking is a way to look at those problems and challenges as opportunities. And that is the beauty of it. And this is something I experience every single day. Even people are, you know how in a daily struggle, when you encounter some challenges or issues or problems within your workplace and people around me would, would tell me, why can't you panic? Like, why aren't you always like say, oh my God, that's a problem. That's a challenge. I'm always like, oh, okay. How about we do this? How about we do They're always describing me as optimistic, but that's not the thing. It's just, I am trained to see challenges as opportunities to offer better solution, solutions. Mainly, design thinking depends on three beautiful elements. Empathy for the end user that you are trying to, cre to cre uh, create a solution for. Um, visualization. Um, it makes you envision and visualize solution in your brain. And it makes you imagine how the solution is going to work. And that is really a beautiful training for the, for, for, for the mind. And the last element, which is the most um, important element, I would say, in design thinking, is the fun, relaxed environment that design thinking creates or make you create in, in, in that sense. Because in any context, if you come across a problem and the old way failed you before to achieve the outcomes that you desire, and so there, is, there should be a need to quit the old methods and try new ones. So let me give you a bit of history um, about design thinking. Um, there is this Bob McKim, as you can see. He's the advocate of design thinking. He was a creative researcher in the 60s and the 70s. And he is the CEO of the IDU University and the one who led the Stanford design program. McKim's experience, uh, experiences in visual thinking was referred to as classic. Why? Because it stressed the nature and the importance of relaxation and attention in the creative process. Uh, 
And as an introduction to valuable exercises in visual thinking, he developed and explored some background and preparation for the process of thinking visually. And that's like I, I said, it is the secret of design thinking when you think visually. And then he dove into the process of visualization and imagining and idea sketching in problem solving, which we can with all confidence say that it is the secret behind this method. The, I can't stress enough on the fact that visualization and sketching of our ideas makes a big difference. Now, if you look at this diagram, this is a very old diagram. This is the first thing that Bob McCain came up with when he was trying to explain how the brain interpret the problem and reaches the solution. Now it's different from the chart, the design thinking chart that we know now, which I will show you in a bit. But um, this image of the thinking process that McCain developed to solve problem lacked the raw simplicity, yes, but it can show the, the the stages where when you are encountered with a problem, how you need to define it, but you need to first relax to be able to continue or to stop. If you are able to, to, to relax and continue, you can then be able to verbalize after you visualize and then express the solution that you come up with. Now, the design thinking chart that we are familiar with nowadays is this one, the one with the five stages. And this is what we mainly use in education and other organizations, I believe. Um, in Stanford University, they described it as the process of uh, for creative problem solving. And this is what uh, Oli and myself were discussing earlier, is the art of problem solving. If we are able to master the art of problem solving, then I believe things are becoming, are will become smoother and easier, either for us or for the students or for the people who, who we're trying to help. Now, the focus of design thinking is, is always, always human-centered at core. All right. It encourages organizations and cultures to focus on the people they are creating the solutions for. So in my case, my focus was the students mainly, and I was able to empathize with them. And that was the first stage where in education, when I use that empathy or I teach it to my students, by the way, I make them connect with the topic. Now, forget, forget about the fact that I'm using this with my students to be able to get a message across, let's say. But I sometimes teach my students the design thinking, all right, or the, the design thinking way. So when they are um, dealing with a challenge or with a topic, I make them first connect with the topic. And then I, I allow them to define the, the, that challenge or that topic where the students at that stage develop research and inquiry skills and they dig deeper in understanding aspects of that challenge and then we move on to the ideate part and that is the visualization part where we are able to sketch our ideas and put them on uh, a paper and in design thinking um, something that is different than the normal way of uh, problem solving that we in the in the old method, let's say we are used to it, which is the uh, brainstorming. It is very much different than brainstorming. In brainstorming, you are faced with a problem and you start um, um, suggesting solutions for it, right? But with design thinking, when we come to the uh, ideation um, uh, uh, phase, we are flaring 
different solutions, but then we come, we put them together and we start narrowing those solutions to come up with a perfect solution at the end. And the beauty of it is that we put it on paper, like we see it. And the moment we see our solution, it makes sense in our brain. And we're like, okay, that might work, that might not work. And that's where we move on to the next stage, which is the prototyping. And that is the most fun stage of all my students always enjoy this uh, uh, this uh, this phase because this is where they make their whatever solution they come up with they make it um, they bring it to life let's say whether it's in a 3d model or a digital model or um, they they roll uh, role play it sometimes and that's when they test it usually the, the, the end of the, the the chart is where you test it and one of the um, nice ways of testing your solution is by role playing and know and experience the effectiveness of the solution itself how design thinking is linked to playfulness because in design thinking, we are very much relying on the aspect of playing and learning by doing. A it, it, McCain used to do this simple exercise to you know, make people understand what is happening when we use design thinking. Um, this is design thinking develops your creative confidence. How? He used to ask, and I, I, I use the same method, by the way. Um, he used to ask his students to take a piece of paper and draw the person who sat next to them as quickly as possible within 30 seconds. He got the same responses every time he did this exercise, which was lots of laughter and sorries from everyone to everyone and quite a bit of embarrassment because they were like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I drew you in a, I, I didn't draw you well or something. When I tried this methodology as a warm-up activity with um, the people I was training in one of those training, I received the same response every time. They were laughing, uh, they were apologizing to each other. It's because, and that we might find it fun, but the thing is, this is telling us a really, important thing. This exercise um, is telling us that when we become adults, we fear the judgment of our peers. We are embarrassed about showing our ideas to people um, we think of uh, as our peers or, uh, or, any, or people around us for that matter. And that fear constrains our creative thinking as we become adults. Now, we don't want that and this is something I discovered that we need to eliminate that. How does this happen? You want to ask well, um, a very interesting fact uh, as I was re researching this topic. I found out that um, the brain uh, tends to create shortcuts when we become adults to ensure that we are high performing and quick thinking individuals. Now, this is a good thing especially when we as adults are required to make fast decisions or generate quick thinking. However, the downside of this is that it compromises our creativity and how will we adapt to change. What causes this notion is a part of our brain is called the myelin. I don't know if you have heard of that, but as kids grow older, they start losing that freedom of expressing their ideas and they start containing that skill which leads them to conservative
thinking. The reason being is because as we become adults, we fear the judgment of our um, uh, peers and we become embarrassed uh, when we show them, like I said, um, when we show them uh, their, our ideas. Um, and this fear is causing us to become conservative in our thinking. Let, let me put this in different um, in different, or just give you a different perspective. Let's say you have a wild idea. There is always this feeling when you have this really crazy idea, there's always this feeling of hesitance to share it. But the braver ones, the ones who are brave among us, they train themselves to be out there and share those crazy ideas. This tells us that it takes effort to build that confidence, where in fact, it should be a natural thing. Think with me for a minute. Let's say we try the same exercise with kids, you know, the drawing exercise. Do you really think that they will fear to share? On the contrary, I am with all confidence, I'm going to tell you that they will have no embarrassment at all. They will happily show their masterpieces to whoever wants to look at it. And however... Um, you know what? As they learn to become adults, they become more sensitive to the opinions of others. Yeah, that's that's how I want to describe it. When they learn to become adults, they become more sensitive to the opinions of others. They start losing that freedom of free-flowing, exploring thinking. They are not sensitive to the fact, oh, I'm going to be judged by my friend or my peer or my colleagues. No, they have this free flowing, flowing, exploring thinking. And that's because they are not afraid to follow their imagination. This picture tells you everything. If you give a card box, um, if you give a cardboard box to a child, what might just look like a box to you and me might mean a spaceship, a shelter, or even a teleporter for another dimension to them. And this is what following this approach is all about. It's about training the brain to see things beyond what they seem to be. We train our brain to explore, not to practice. Practice is good. Repeating is good. But we need to train our brain to explore. As educators, I really do believe after exploring design thinking that we need to teach students to not be afraid of what others might think of their ideas. And we stress on teaching them the go for it attitude. To put things again into perspective, Kids in school at early stages of their learning are lucky to have all of the materials, resources, playground, colors, Play-Doh, toys, art and craft, etc. Right. But the sad part is, as kids go through the school system, what happens? They lose all of this stuff that facilitate the playfulness thinking. They lose it. They start becoming serious. By the time they get to high school, graduate from university and be ready to embark on, embark on the real working world, they would have lost the wild innovative frame of mind. And by that time, they would have learned structures, rules, policies, standards. Boring, <laughs> serious, very serious.
They would have gotten busy dealing with realities like projects, personal life, kids, maintaining a lifestyle, which could reduce their desire to push for creative thinking. Um, well, yeah, I'm yeah. let me just say one more thing before I move to the next slide. I'm gonna show you something I used to do in my classroom. Um, I also, while researching this topic, um, I found out that kids at school all the way from K to 12, they actually really need to be provided with opportunity and space that would unlimit their creativity. This is what I'm talking about. Don't take those beautiful playfulness stuff away from kids as they go to grade, let's say, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 to 12. You would be surprised how much they will enjoy it. It makes a big difference when they explore and they have this beautiful playfulness within their, um, let's say, learning environment. I personally believe that school leaders should rethink the whole education system from the design of the school building, and I'll tell you why in a minute, to classroom spaces, to the curriculum and assessment structure. As we are in a time of extraordinary change and uncertainty, and the pandemic have proved that really well, it is really vital to prepare our kids to embrace the uncertain challenges by allowing students to build, construct, converse their ideas, transform their ideas into visuals. We really need to stop stressing on the writing bit, the dictating bit, the practicing bit, the memorizing bit. It's like I, I always say that I have a that and that's for another um, discussion. I have a, a really strong opinion about assessments because assessments should not be a way where students vomit <laughs> what they learn in classroom. But that's in a different context. Um, what I'm trying to say here is that we can transform education to adopt the mindset of solution designers. We prepare them by challenging them. We use the challenge-based learning. We make them become engaged member in their classrooms and outside the classrooms with their communities where they contribute either in classrooms or outside innovatively and positively. Um, in this slide, this is something, this is a real picture that this is something I used to do with my um, fourth and three graders. I used to use Legos in English vocabulary lessons. Um, as you can see, I never asked them to look up a vocabulary in a dictionary, never. I would converse with them, I would role play with them the, the, the vocabularies, and then I would give them Legos and tell them, you know what? I need you to create a scene that translate that vocabulary for me. And then from that scene, I need you to come up with a conversation a sentence, something that is happening that would describe what is happening in that scene using that vocabulary. And it used to produce really beautiful lessons for myself and for my students. You know, with this, it is exactly, think of it as, as if you are using the kids' own entertainment tools to teach them about different ideas, realities, facts, and notions. You're using their own tools. This model will allow, which is the design thinking again, which is the exploratory playfulness, 
It will allow students to get the chance and the space again to define their own learning, their own problem. They conduct their own self-assessment without having uh, work both structured and delivered and evaluated by teachers. They'll take more than half of the work of the teachers when you allow them to explore themselves and to draw their own learning path by making them explore, explore the concept. This method is not only designed for kids and students. Research shows, and this is a really important part in my presentation to prove to you that this is not something that you can use only with kids or students in, in schools. Um, research shows that when individuals, adults, are working in a comfortable uh, environment uh, or a space with elements of playfulness and exploration, they tend to be more productive in their work. Let's see real life examples. Okay, so take big companies that are market leaders in innovation and how they understood the way to creativity through creating a playful environment for their employees. Companies like Google Office in Zurich, and I'm going to show you all of these companies now and how their offices are being um, designed. Google Office in Zurich, Airbnb uh, in London, um, Bright HR in Manchester, um, let's say um, Red Bull Office in Mexico City, and many more, right? Now, this is something, this um, over here, um, that was reported by one of the employees, and he actually said that the design blurs the boundaries between social space and workspace and creates a relaxed, comfortable environment which promotes productivity, creativity, and wellness. Look how beautiful is the design and how relaxed the, the individuals in the pictures are. This is another picture also taken from those one of those big companies where uh, one of the employees said that the stuff actually work from the game consoles to the informal meeting areas. The company encourages to build team relationships, encourage creativity and boost productivity. I'm asked by friends if I get any work done, but it's all about trust that people can manage their own time. We are professionals after all. So as you can see, they have designed their workplaces in a way they knew that the element of playfulness is the right one to evoke innovation. Employees working for those companies reported that they are feeling relaxed, familiar with their surroundings, and comfortable with the people working with. So why not do this in, in, in education, in our schools, in our classrooms? Why not create that for our students? If adults can do this and they are being productive and they are unleashing creativity through being playful, then why not do it in, in, in education? Another beautiful office. And I have been pushing Talim to give me a slide in my school for quite a while now. I don't know. Okay. Finger crossed is it's gonna happen. <laughs> and employees working. Honestly, employee, I can tell that employees working for those companies uh, who are feeling really relaxed and familiar with this, there, there should be our models. This is a live model for us educators to know that playfulness does work, does work in our classroom. Just 
have this, what do we call it? We call it active learning environment where you transform your classrooms into active learning environment. Like you make your students part of that environment. You make them engage in that environment. Uh, by the way, this is, a, this is I think, Google uh, office in Zurich. It's absolutely one of my favorite. Like I mentioned earlier, research shows that people tend to innovate and create in places and environments that have the same kind of security and playfulness kids feel, where they are always reminded to be playful and relaxed, no stress. And when this setting in which you are expected to learn or innovate is offered, then possibilities will be opened. Uh, this is again a picture of me when I was in the design thinking training back in London. And uh, as you can see, we were playing all sorts of games and we were using a lot of energizers, which um, I am using also, uh, whether in trainings or uh, I used to um, use those energizers in my classrooms to create that sense of playfulness in, in, in the environment of the context where I am, to, to get that creativity happening. And this is the first time that I have learned about the playfulness and how it unleashes actually the creative in your brain. It makes you really think of things that you would never have thought of when you are in, your, in, a, in, a, in an office in front of a computer and you are asked to produce solutions for a problem. So when you experience that freedom and that exciting, fun environment to explore and share tons of ideas, you are most definitely going to come up with great solutions. It is that basic human element inside of us that design thinking process helps in connecting us to. We focus on the people who we are designing the solution for. We connect with their realities in order to create better ones. We can not do it when we are linear in our thinking or when we are distracted by standards or assessments or grading. These are all good things to have for tracking progress and attainments and everything. And we do have them, but that we shouldn't be distracted too much by those rigid things. These things are going to happen, but you, you spend most of your time in the classroom teaching. You really want to focus on that. You really want to focus on creating that environment where you get and you produce a generation that is ready for the next new era, the next new normal, let's say, the next new challenges. You need to really well prepare them. I will end my session, and I hope it wasn't that uh, long. In short, I could sum it up by highlighting the points of what makes design thinking and exploratory playfulness as an approach, um, a, a potential uh, solution or a method that can help us survive the new normal and be more creative than ever. These are the three points that I usually remind myself with when um, still researching design thinking and digging deeper, by the way, in design thinking, that it changes the mindset. Absolutely. When you train your brain to do that method, it changes your mindset to be 
a creative solution designers. And if it worked for me, I want my students to be creative solution designers. And I want them to look at problems and at challenges as opportunities. And I want them to engage in those challenges and problems because I know that they are going to produce something valuable either to themselves or to the people around them, to their community. I hope um, you have enjoyed uh, my session today and that I have added value um, to your practices as educators. And I, uh, as I promised you at the beginning of my session, I am recommending these two books that I have read about design thinking. They have absolutely changed my life. They really changed my life and they have changed the path of my career. Um, the reason why, uh, with all honesty, I can tell you that this book, Design Thinking in the Classroom, is the one that led me to become from or transit from a teacher to a curriculum advisor to a design thinking facilitator, to an innovation specialist, to an innovation head, and now to the director of innovation. I enjoy my work every single day. You know why? Because for one reason, one reason only, is because I see results and I see um, outcomes every single day. Thank you so much for having me. Um, back to you, Ollie. Um, I was just furiously trying to um, do a tweet of your recommended reads there, um, but I, I, I'll do another one um, in a minute. I really liked um, some of the strands that you, you've discussed there, um, Emma, and especially the, the collaborative aspect within design thinking, the foundation yeah. of re relationships. You know, we all yeah. know that that's kind of the foundation of any classroom. No matter Absolutely. what you're doing, is not only you know teacher to, to student, but peer to peer. Um, once you've got that dynamic um, kind of sussed within your classroom, you can you can really forge on. And I wanted to also ask because um, there's a, a fairly famous um, example of, of kind of peer collaboration feedback, and that's Austin's butterfly. Um, it's, it's typically more of a, a kind of um, primary. Um, uh, example um, for colleagues out there that are secondary that have never heard of it, but it's essentially the, the journey of um, a student drawing a butterfly in various stages and receiving um, feedback from his peers to enhance and improve his um, his, his final outcome, his product, and it, that co-creation runs through with that. Um, yep. Uh, where am I going with this? I guess there's been quite a big push recently, um, certainly in education, on, on metacognition and self-regulation um, and, and breaking those down so that students can think quite explicitly about their own learning um, and use particular strategies such as uh, monitoring and evaluating their learning um, uh, as kind of... Uh, part of, of, of the components of cognition, metacognition, motivation. Do you, do you yeah. find there's any crossover between yeah. those concepts and design thinking? You, you know what? You, you got me thinking. The other day I was thinking and I was revising, you know that we have in our classrooms learning objectives. Am I right? We, yeah. we usually, when we write our lesson plans, we start with the learning objectives. Mm -hmm. 
I discovered, and I don't know, I have to research this more, but in my mind, it's, it's not, it, it, it doesn't add up. Because when we teach the learning objectives, we usually use this Bloom taxonomy thing. And we categorize our kids either, we, we, we write those objectives according either to high abilities, mid abilities, or low abilities, high achievers, low achievers, or different categories. I don't know what, but in my mind, it doesn't add up because I don't have a perfect three category sectioned classrooms. And I can't move up from from one, um, let's say, Bloom taxonomy, um, um, high order thinking or low order thinking, and then go all the way up within a period of 40 minutes. So in my mind, I'm like, the, the learning objectives shouldn't be that we put it in front of a child and we tell them, okay, so today you are going to define the ecosystem. If I'm a creative uh, student, I'll be like, okay, why? Okay, so you can be able to analyze the features of an ecosystem. Okay, why? Why would I want to do that? How is that going to help me when I grow up? Okay, because you can be able then to model the ecosystem because these are the, 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 the learning objects that we actually use in our classrooms. And he, if, if the child is able to keep on asking why, 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 then we're not doing those, those students any, 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 any good because in my mind, I should give them a challenge, an ecosystem of some kind, and I ask them, this is your challenge. Through that challenge, I need you to find out what is that. Analyze it. Tell me the components of it. What makes them, what makes those animals are able to live in that environment, but not in that environment? What if I add that feature to that animal? And then, so if you challenge them that way, so if you go backwards, in our, in our teaching and not from the top down we go from down to top where the child are the child the children are able to deconstruct first to be able to reconstruct and create a new image do you get what i mean i don't know yeah, if that's something that you're about. there was two things that i was thinking there that, that learning's not always linear and actually probably one issue within education is is this sort of time stamped you're going to learn it in this time frame, and, uh, and, and that's no fault of the schools. That's right. the kind of endemic thing of, of education over you know 100, 200 years, um, and that's kind of could involve a little bit of innovation there. And I think that that's down to particular schools to look at when it is acceptable or appropriate to share an intention or a goal or an objective. Um, with with students um you know I've, I've worked in schools in the past where that's the first thing you have to do once the students enter yeah. the room yes. um, fortunately the school me, I thought that it's when I the professional deem it necessary I can share that information with the students and it right. might be that actually you don't share it initially you wait until you've had a bit of review Pose them an issue. How do we solve this? Right, we need to know. Yeah. I usually, I, I what I used to do because I was, I, I had to. I was required to use the, the learning objective in my lessons. But what I used to do, I used to manipulate it and leave it to the end of the lesson, where I asked my children, "What did you learn? What do you think our objective from this lesson was?" So they'll come up with it. So that was something that I, I was able to manipulate. So. 
yeah on that on that kind of that thread then of i guess changing things up or, or doing something different or being creative um there was a one of the questions that i wanted to ask you um was um, related to um, Sir Ken Robinson, who, who got a famous kind of TED talk that do schools kill creativity. Um, to what extent do you think that that might be true in the last 18 months? Um, do you mean that he, he he's, he's saying that there's a movement towards creativity in schools in the last 18 months? He, no, he, so he, he, he kind of argues that um, as and you, you hinted at this in your presentation through time as you traject through from FS1 through to you know mm. 18 years old, there, mm. quite often there's a point where um, a student's creativity is um, kind of shackled, as it yeah. were. Um, yeah. And you talked in your presentation about um, students get really good at learning systems, procedures, how to do X, Y, Z in, in all of the different subjects but not being able to think outside the box in, in some of those yeah. subjects. Um, so re sort of reframing my question, how do you think the last 18 months might have enabled schools to be a little bit more creative? Um, and what would you like to see moving forwards? Well, it has actually. And we can see that there's a big movement towards creativity. In Dubai, as you can see, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but there's a movement called uh, Educating for Creativity right now. And I think what happened um, uh, during the pandemic and after the pandemic, it had opened the educators' eyes to the fact that you guys, you should have been doing this long time ago. I'll tell you what, innovation is not a new term. The term innovation has been first used, by the way, back in the 16th century, and it referred to new ideas and improved ideas. Now, in education, innovation has been part of the scholars' constant research for um, new methodologies uh, that would positively influence the students' performance, academic achievement, and link it to future careers long time ago. I remember that it's always been our trainings of finding new methodologies and trends in uh, teaching and learning. So the, the, the word innovation is not new to us. But what happened during the um, past 18 months is that it forced us all to dig deeper into being creative in delivering teaching and learning to students wherever they are and whomever they are. Whatever tools we had, we needed to use in order to be able to deliver education. In Dubai, uh, for the past four years, not 18 months, introducing innovation in education has been the focus, all right? However, the emphasis was specifically augmented during and after the pandemic, right? Um, I truly believe that the education sector is pushing to innovate faster than ever before and it's the fact that so many universities and so many schools have closed around the globe um, that leaves us with a bigger challenge that we really need to be more creative in accommodating all of those who have lost the chance to be educated. Uh, and that's why you can see that so many new solutions have emerged to offer um, uh, in the shape of e-tech, 
opportunities have been offered to try and as a collateral damage uh, what happened because of uh, the, the pandemic. But definitely, definitely, they are becoming more creative than ever. Yes, there's, like I told you, there's a resistance towards um, innovation because they're very much intimidated by the fact um, that the word itself is scary to them, but they don't know it, but they are doing, they are moving to educating for creativity. Either they know, whether they know it or not, they are doing it anyway. Um, I just want to pick up on something you said right at the start, the, the Educating for Creativity movement. How, If anyone's watching this back or listening back, how can people find out about that? Is there a website? Is it on Twitter, LinkedIn? Um, is there a central kind of hub? Um, usually, I this is all under the UAE 2071 I think I can share, um, Oli, I can share later with you where you can find the, this information. Uh, you can, I can tell you for now, UAE um, innovation sectors, there's a full document. Um, if you Google uh, UAE or Dubai um, innovation uh, sectors uh, in line with the United Nations SDGs, you will find a full document of the vision uh, Dubai is having for um, uh, education and um, there are so many uh, documents usually they are under the ministry and the KHDA um, uh, website you will find all of these documents um, telling you all of this information um, that's great I'll have a look Google of that after the show. Um, and, I'll, I'll um, share with you the links later on as well. Yeah, and we can post some links on uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter. That'd be really useful to just sort of signpost to anyone that's uh, that's watched or watching uh, back. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we're synchronous and asynchronous here. Um, on Learn Live UAE to drop into kind of old but newly coined terms in in 2020 and 2021. And um, I've just got one other thing that I wanted to ask you, really, and, and I guess this. Um, is a, applicable to both students and educators. Um, and that's how can we make sure that our actions, whilst undergoing um, particular elements of design thinking, aren't biased? Hmm. All right. Look, what works for you, you need to go with that, right? If, like I said, if what you're doing, you're not happy with the outcomes and you're not happy with the results, then you really need to try something else. If that doesn't work, then you really need to dig deeper and look for other approaches. Design thinking is not the only way, but it is a way. That's how I always say it. I've tried it. It worked for me. Um, I've seen results. I've seen, I've seen outcomes coming out of those students. I've seen outcomes coming from my colleagues when we were doing our trainings. Like I said, it worked for me. Give it a try. If it doesn't work, there are so many things that educators can do. There are so many approaches that you can try. But like I said, the, the beauty of design thinking that, first of all, it's human-centered at core. And when you are using an approach that is human-centered at approach, you can't miss, <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. Mm -hmm. 
you are do what you're doing is that you are doing it in service for that person or that individual that you are trying to create that solution for. And the whole point of design thinking is finding solutions to challenges and problems. If you're not facing challenges, if you're not having problems, which I doubt, not a workplace. I, I can't think of a workplace that exists that doesn't have any issues or challenges. Then you might not need such an approach. You, you don't want to be bothered. But then again, it is something that it is worth looking at and into at the end of the day. I think that's really important there. What, what you, you're kind of touching on is, is know your own context, appreciate that not everything is going to work, be okay with that, but yeah. actually use it as a learning experience to move forwards and, 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 and build from. And I think that that's, that's a really important point there, and that, and that, that really resonates. Um, I've got one final question, um, if that's okay. Um, and that's, what are some of the best kind of innovation projects that you've seen in your career that have come from students? Oh, my goodness, Ollie. Okay, I can go on and on about that. Okay. <laughs> um, this year, look, this year was an amazing year for me because I, I, I got to work closely with students on uh, challenges, on projects. Uh, I can name so many projects, like one of them was um, uh, School on Mars. We started the year uh, building a school on Mars. So we had uh, researched Mars and uh, we, we imagined a school there and we were talking about how it's going to look like, how are we going to protect it uh, when we go to Mars, how are we going to be transferred to Mars. And the students came up with the most brilliant solutions, mind-blowing solutions. And the beautiful part of that project is that we had to prototype it on Minecraft education. So they got absolutely creative with their designs and their designs actually made sense. Like they thought of everything, like where the water is going to come from, how are they going to produce clean water and how is the structure of their uh, school on Mars is going to look like and how many sections are they going to have in their school? What subjects are, are they going to teach? In and by the way, they thought that design thinking is one of the subjects that they want to teach on, on Mars. So that was, I was like, yes. <laughs> so that was one of them, a School on Mars project. We had also um, the tiny house uh, for a better living uh, project. Uh, actually, I have um, a sustainable show coming this Thursday uh, in the school. Yes, and in one section of that uh, show, there's going to be sustainable fashion show and there's going to be also um, a display of their projects uh, of tiny houses for better living, how they uh, were able to design. And this, they did not prototype on Minecraft. They actually built it out of boxes and that's part of the challenge by the way ollie i gave them only card boxes tapes scissors and sticks to build a tiny house with all of its structures and they came up with unbelievable very practical designs where a family of four or five can live in a bedroom one bedroom 
house. So we have a full display of around 45 tiny houses. They are all different from each other, designs, beautiful designs, and they all met the criteria of the tiny house that uh, and the challenge that I have given them. So it makes you feel so happy when they produce and they, they, they show you that, yes, we get it, miss, we get it, and this is it. It's, um, it reminds me of, um, I forget which book of hers it's in, it's, it's Mary Meyer. Um, she writes amazing stuff about curriculum. It, it's either in her Curriculum for Gunfroid book or it's in um, High Challenge, Low Threat. And she, she talks about students want challenge. They want difficult stuff to kind of wrestle with and get to grips with and understand and solve those problems. Um, I think that, that really resonates with the, the task that you set the students because that can sound quite difficult, right? Yeah. Build a replica house out of that, um, you know, limited goods. Um, and, you know, students will rise to the challenge. Well, just, the relationships and culture is there um, in your classroom. Students I promise will... that it, the, the, the approach only is absolutely differentiated by nature. And the teachers don't have to differentiate anything to those kids because every single child is going to produce something different than the other because they are going to put their own thinking process into those beautiful uh, projects. And another thing I want to say about design thinking, especially in education, it is very much linked to the United Nations SDGs, which is the movement as well now, Oli. It is, we are going sustainable all the way. We are, um, we are looking at um, the United Nations goals, the 17 uh, United Nations goals in, in, in every single aspect of our curriculum. Design thinking complements the United Nations SDGs beautifully. So you will find a project in design thinking that would complement a different aspect of those 17 goals. And that's why we were able to use design thinking because we are really promoting, um, uh, we are behind to be honest, we're very much behind in advocating the uh, United Nations SDGs. It is, like I said, it's a human-centered approach and it is for the well-being of humanity. And that's what makes, I think, that's why the kids get, get excited about it. Yeah, that's, I think, 100% the right way to go about it as well. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of not only getting buy-in for the students, but creating the... Lots of people say they're leaders of the future, but it's probably best yeah. to say the problem solvers of the future. Yeah. Um, by getting like them you know, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's that was brilliant. I really enjoyed our discussion, Emma. Thank you so yeah, much. For, thank you um, so much, Holly. For coming on the show, it's been it's been really interesting. Um, perhaps I can uh, just after we go off air, just ask you a couple of other questions about um, getting involved in particular projects across the UAE, and then I'll, I'll share that out on the platform um, afterwards. If you're if you're happy with that, that'd be great. Absolutely, absolutely. Brilliant. Thank, Thank, you, so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you're listening back on Anchor, um, thank you once again. Catch you next week, everyone.
Thanks for listening into this episode of Learn Live UAE. You can also watch episodes live on YouTube by going to our channel, which you can find at www.youtube.com forward slash Learn Live UAE. Thank you.